They're crazy, they're zany, and just plain nuts, but they love Jesus. America's Keswick and all of you. Here are the hosts of the Bob and Bill podcast, Robert Hayes and Bill Welch.
Well, good afternoon, Bob. Hello, Bill. How are this you? This is episode 24 of the Bob and Bill podcast. So it's been kind of fun. A lot of places have gotten rid of yes. their organs. What, what kind of organ is this? It's this, fun to play. This is a Hammond. Uh, this is called, it would actually be, it's called the Entertainer Series. It probably would have been played in nightclubs and things like that. But this is the model that I grew up playing in my living room. Uh, my parents actually purchased it for me out of Days of Discovery Bible Conference. Wow, you remember that? I do. And uh, when we went to purchase it, we didn't. There was no electric. It was sitting in the middle of a dining room. There was water dripping through the ceiling, and we brought it home, plugged it in, and it worked. And uh, that's how I, I grew up practicing on an organ just like that. And, and it's kind of cool because all the rock groups. Yes. Oh, well, it's a great jazz. Uh, instrument. It's great for gospel music. A lot of gospel singers use it. And um, anyway, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It adds a lot of character. And the song we played is, was It Is No Secret, That's written right. by Stuart Hamlin. And I love the story behind that because Stuart Hamlin's wife wanted him desperately to go to the Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. And he fought it all week. And finally he went. And on that, that night that he went, he responded wow. to the gospel, walked the aisle, and gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And several years later, he had grown in his walk with the Lord. He was good friends with John Wayne. <laughs> and uh, John Wayne's friends said, what in the world has happened to Stuart Hamlin? And John Wayne said, I don't really know what's happened to him, but he says that he has a relationship with God, and if God can do something in the life of Stuart Hamlin, it is no secret yeah. what God can do. And that's what prompted Stuart Hamlin to write that great gospel song. Yes. It's funny, too. I was thinking as we were playing that uh, when you would listen to um, uh, the night sounds and um, what's the, the company in Chicago? Uh, Moody, WMBI, Bill yes. Pierce. Yes, but the um, Unshackled. Unshackled. Unshackled used it. So if you remember the Unshackled program, this is the kind of uh, instrument that made all those background noises. It was yeah. really, really pretty Songs cool. in the Night used the Hammond organ, yep. so it's pretty cool. Well, we're excited to have Pastor Matt Stokes. Mm -hmm. Matt is the senior pastor at Coastal Christian Church in Ocean City, New Jersey. Uh, Matt was a speaker for our virtual men's fellowship night and shared a great teaching on Psalm 23. And we thought we would share that with you on today's podcast. Let's give a listen. Father, I thank you for each person that's just within the hearing of this message at America's Keswick in this time when they may not be able to have a lot of guests and other speakers and people that are speaking into their lives from outside. I pray right now, Lord, that you would just fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome whatever's in front of them, to know that, Jesus, you are taking the journey with them, that they would overcome oppression, they would overcome depression, they would overcome anxiety and fear or whatever else has a grip upon their lives, that they would recognize that the weapons of this warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds, that they would take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I look forward to what you're going to do in the midst of this short time that we spend together in your word. I know you're going to bless your word. I pray that it goes forth and it just adds just life to those who hear. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Psalm 42 is where I'm going to come to you. Psalm 42 is a remarkable chapter. I actually titled this message, Another Present Pandemic, What's the Proper Response? Another Present, pre- another present Pandemic. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. And the pandemic to which I'm referring is depression and anxiety. Most of us know, and you may have heard some reports, that depression and anxiety are on the rise in light of the virus. There's a secondary pandemic, if you will, where people are experiencing all kinds of depressive thoughts or anxious feelings. Um, Alcoholism is on the rise. Uh, Domestic abuse is on the rise. Child abuse on the rise, right? So this is actually affecting us in some secondary ways that we might not have supposed, and they're very serious. Depression and anxiety. Depression and anxiety, which seem to be opposite, are actually very integrated together in a lot of people's lives. There's a lot of similarities between them. If you do the research, it's more than just an epidemic. It's really a pandemic because it's growing nationally as well as it's growing globally. The last time I researched the Anxiety and Depression Association of America said this, generalized anxiety disorder, disorder, also known as GAD, was affecting 6.8 million Americans. OCD, most people know, obsessive compulsive disorder, 2.2 million. Pandemic disorders, 6 million. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, 7.7 million. Social anxiety disorder, 15 million. Specific phobias, everything from like spiders to elbows. Some people have a fear of their own elbows and get surgery done on their elbows because they fear their own elbows, right? Okay, specific phobias, 19 million. Major depressive disorders, 14.8 million. And then there's something called dysthymic disorder, which is a chronic low-level depression that's affecting 3.3 million Americans. The CDC, which we all know now is the Center for Disease Control, it's like the the buzz acronym these days, said that number would increase 20% every year. But now, in light of this other pandemic, we can only even imagine, right? At any given time, let's be honest, there are certain measures of discouragement and despair and fear and anxiety and confusion. And what they do is they get a grip on us. They get a grip on us mentally. And then it's only a matter of time before the mental moves to the emotional. And now it's not just mentally and emotionally, but now it's relationally affecting other people. And then physiologically, it affects us in terms of our health. Some of us longer than others, some of us more intense than others, but it's not uncommon and it's not surprising that we start developing unhealthy coping strategies, right? So instead of solving our problems, we just compound the complexity of them 10 times over. This psalm speaks to that issue. Psalm 42, it's a very popular psalm. It's probably one of the top five in terms of my favorite psalms just because it's so rich in meaning and in relevance and in application. And this is what it says. If you have your Bibles open to Psalm 42, and I hope that you also have something to take notes with or you can write in your Bible, let me begin. Psalm 42, in the very first verse, and I'm reading from the King James Version, it says, as the heart. Heart is actually a British, English, old school word that means dear. So it's really as the deer pants, panteth after the water brooks, so my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And, you know, this begs the question we should all ask ourselves right away as we're getting started right here. To what degree do you thirst for God? 
Right? To what degree do you thirst for God? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst right, for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What did Jesus say? If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Right? I mean, really, are you thirsting for him? How do you quantify and how do you qualify the measure for which you thirst for him? What does that look like? In fact, if you've got a pen, just write down the question, in what ways can you satisfy that spiritual thirst that begins to grow within you? Because at a time in a person's life, a spiritual thirst will begin to grow. In the life of, a, of even a lost person far from God and unforgiven, there is a spiritual man within every one of us that begins to thirst. It's a matter of what we do with that. What are you doing with that? When that moment comes and you're thirsting for something immaterial, thirsting for something outside of yourself, what are you doing with that? The scriptures are telling us what we should be doing with that. I toured Israel three times in, in the past several years. One of the most beautiful sights in all of Israel is when you see a young deer or a stag or fawns or does or ibex and they're drinking this crystal clear water in these water pools in the mountains of what's called En Gedi. En Gedi is a remarkable place. Um, it's an authentic oasis. If you've, uh, you know, they really do exist, and if I had a picture, I'd love to show you one. In the midst of this barren mountain land, all around it, it's dry, it's desert, it's just south of the Dead Sea. It's the, you know the Dead Sea is the lowest spot on earth. Nothing grows there at all. But in the midst of that, you have what you're looking at as En Gedi. It's the closest thing that I've personally ever seen to a true oasis. Waterfalls are coming down through these mountainous areas and they fall into these brooks and into these pools of cool water in the midst of the most dry, desolate, desert lands that you can imagine. You have this place in Gedi and walking through the mountains of En Gedi, you can see the Dead Sea down below in all of its barrenness right before you. You can imagine the psalmist is in these mountains of Engedi, and he sees a deer drinking from the cool water brooks in the midst of the most barren desert lands. And what does he do? He takes his pen to the parchment and he begins to write, the way the deer desires cool water, that's like the way I desire God. That's the way I long for God. That's the way I look for God. I want to stand before God. Did you see him say that? I want to be saturated with. I want to be still in. I want to be satisfied by God. The presence of God. The person of God. The very being of God. When I look at this in its entirety, it reminds me of a word in Latin called gravitas. Right? Gravitas means the metaphorical weight of a concept or a person. And right now he's considering God in all of his greatness and in all of his glory. And he wants to stand in the awesome presence of God. That's what he's saying. And so what I'm asking is what about you? How thirsty are you for God? What else are you thirsty for? See, everybody's thirsty for something. In fact, you could even write that down too. Everybody's thirsty for something. We're all thirsty for something in this world. People are thirsty for significance or acceptance. Some people are thirsty for encouragement. Some people are thirsty for peace or pleasure, power or respect, as well as connectedness or understanding. We as people, we thirst to be understood. 
And I'm not saying that any of that is wrong at all. But ultimately, supremely, primarily, first and foremost, above all else, you were made for God. Let me say it again. You were made for God. That's the reason we were created. In fact, it says it in the scriptures, right? Colossians chapter 1 says all things were created by him and for him. It actually says the same thing in John chapter 1. All things were made for him or all things were made by him and was not anything that was made that was not made by him, right? That's just like a King James double negative way of saying it's all made by Jesus Christ, the word. And then he became flesh and dwelt among us and then every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord and we're all gonna stand before him in his presence as the lamb upon the throne and before God Almighty and say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We were made for God and we were created for his glory we were made for God and we were created for his glory and he receives glory by the way that we embrace a relationship with him the way we experience him glorify him thirst after him listen now and then be satisfied by him yeah so I'm saying to you today don't be satisfied with anything less don't accept surrogate satisfaction like so many of us have in our past and it's led us down a broad road that has led to destruction. Let your satisfaction specifically be in seeking after the Savior, seeking after the still, small voice of the Spirit, God's will, God's work, seeking after the way of the Father, seeking after the leading of the Holy Spirit, seeking after the call of Christ upon your life, seeking after the truth that you'll find in His Word, and that truth will set you free. There's nothing else worth seeking after. That's first and foremost. That's above all else. And I'm saying when you get that, you get everything. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, right in the Beatitudes, in that section, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Whatever significance you're looking for, whatever acceptance you're longing for, you will find all of that in Christ who loves you. He proved that love on the cross and then he proved his power by rising three days later from the grave. That is the gospel. So when you seek first the kingdom of God, all those things that you're looking for, all those things that God really knows that you really need, they'll be added unto you. His death and his resurrection give gravitas to this gospel that I'm sharing with you right now. Verse 3 says this, my tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Whew. Notice that. If you're a Bible student, it says day and night. And in the same verse, it says continually. He's trying to press home the consistency of how constant it is. He's feeling pressed. He's feeling pressured. Hey, you ever feel that way? Pressed and pressured? Maybe it's financial. Maybe right now it's viral. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's an integration of some or all of those things that may be happening at one time or another. In his life right now, with whatever he's going through, he says, my tears are like meat. They're like my food right now. I'm like eating them all day. And where's God? Where's God? When's God going to show up? Verse 4, 
When I remember these things, notice the word remember. I have in my Bible it's that it's past tense. He's looking back. Notice he's looking back. I pour out my soul in me. Hmm. Do you ever pour out your soul? Pour out your soul. I don't mean do you pray, where you pray verbose pontifications with intellectual articulations filled with theology and doctrine, like, O most heavenly Father, mightest thou condescend to thy servants supplications in the midst of mine tribulations? Like, no, I'm talking about pouring out your heart like a child crying out in the darkness of a wild nightmare. That's the kind of crying out I'm talking about. You ever pray like that? I wonder what it would be like, would to God, if the church in America today, if we cried out to God, instead of our ritualistic, refurbished, rehearsed, reread, prescribed, perfunctory prayers. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this food. Blah, 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 blah. But we're crying forth from our souls but we came from the souls of men with prayers to God. We came from the core of our being and we poured out our hearts as we prayed. He's pouring out his soul. Verse four, he said, I had, there it is again, past tense. I had gone. And now he explains to you what he's longing for. Watch this now. He's, what he's been missing, what he's, what he's looking to. I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God and with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept, past tense, holy day. Had, went, kept, all past tense. So what does that tell you? He's thinking back. He's, he's recollecting. He's recalling this time. He remembers when he was in Jerusalem. When he went to the house of the Lord, when he worshiped God on the holy days, he would go. Now watch the contrast here. He sinks down after he talks about the joy and the praise and the rejoicing. He sinks down in verse 5, which is so like us, right? Because he's up and then he's down and then he's up and he's down again. 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted? King James, disquieted. Disquieted. Quieted. He's not quieted. He is lacking peace. He's filled with sadness. Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Man, you've got to underline those four words right there. Hope thou in God. God. He says, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I'm going to hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, he's back, for the help of his countenance. Literally what he says is, I'm going to praise him for the help that comes from being in his presence, right? Because you can't receive help from God, and you can't actually experience the countenance of God unless you're in the presence of God. So he's saying, I'm going to praise him as I actually get back into his presence. These verses seem to give us, interestingly enough, a timestamp or some context of where this psalm might actually be drawn from. It's either happening in one of two places. One is when David was on the run from King Saul in the early days of his life. You remember the prophet Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel, but the present king of Israel, Saul, was jealous of him and he pushed him out. And now he's on the run from the king himself and he's writing about this heaviness that's going on in his life. Or it may have been when he was banished from his own kingdom after David became king, his son Absalom actually set him on the run from his own throne and he had to hide from his son even though he was the king. 
I mean, whatever season you're looking at, talk about depressing. Talk about fearing for your life. Talk about being filled with anxiety. Apparently, he's in a place that was far from Jerusalem, wherever it was to the place he was running. He had a heart and he had a passion for Jerusalem, and he was far from the house of God, which is and was the place that he loved in the midst of Jerusalem. He loved to go and be passionate in the house of God and to pray to God. And the reason I say that is he talks about the holy city. He talks about going in. He talks about being in the house of God and being filled with worship and praise. Now I'm going to say something for a moment, just metaphorical for a moment. So just come with me on this. If you read between the lines here, what is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is a place. It was a city that David captured for God. He captured that city. David owned that city. And then as king, he dedicated that city to God, and he made that the holy city of Israel and the place where the house of God would dwell and the temple would dwell. In the midst of Jerusalem, the city that he captured for God, that's what Jerusalem is. The temple is the place where David felt most comfortable to worship God, to pray to God, to get into the presence of God, to hear the voice of God. So, do you see what I'm saying? There's a metaphor. There's something between the lines. Why does he long for Jerusalem? Why does he long for the house of God? Because that's the place where he experienced victory in that city. And in this place where he felt comfortable worshiping God. And look, he wants to get back to that place. He wants to get back to that place. And I'm saying, if you understand where I'm going with the metaphor, I'm saying, who doesn't? Like, who doesn't want to get back to that place when you're filled with depression and anxiety and fear? Do you see what I'm saying? We all have our Jerusalem. We all have our temple or we all have our house of God so to speak we all have our victories we all have our places where we feel comfortable just to get with God and sit in his presence and hear his voice and listen for his spirit and that's where David wants to go that's the place in his heart to which he wants to get back through the year there were a number of holy days and a number of festivals. And if you look in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible and the rest of the Old Testament, particularly Exodus and Leviticus, you'll see these feast days, you'll see these festivals. And if you look and study them, you'll see that they were a time, as much as they were celebratory times, they were also very contemplative times where you would want to look back and remember Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the goodness of God, the power and work of God, the holiness and the mercy of God. That's what you would look back to. You would remember, you would celebrate and recall, you would celebrate and recount the history. So when you would, when you would like break forth from these festivals and when you would break forth from these feasts, it would be like you just came from a retreat. You know, wherever you just went away, have you ever been away on a retreat or even, listen, a Christ-centered rehabilitation retreat where you go away for a certain determinate number of days and you're just seeped and you're saturated in God and in his word 
and, and you're filled with the Spirit and you're filled with worship, you're thinking about Him, you're meditating on Him, you're, you're getting into His presence and you're recalling what He's done for you and you're recounting the truth of His Word and it's just marvelous, it's, it's glorious. That's what's happening for Him. Let me ask you, is that a struggle for you too? To see God's hand at work in your life? And I say too because it's a struggle for me. There are times and certainly seasons where I go through life and I struggle to see God's hand at work in my life and I, and I don't think I'm alone in that feeling. I think there's a lot of us. That's where this psalmist is struggling right now. He's wrestling in his own soul. And I'm saying, how about you? You ever soul wrestle? Hmm? Maybe you want to write that question down right here in the psalm, because that's really what's happening here. I mean, did you ever soul wrestle, where your inner man is just wrestling, right here, wrestling? Oh, God, I'm trying to recall. God, I'm trying to recount. God, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to recollect the way we used to be, the way you worked in me, and the way that I lived and moved through you. And that's a struggle for us. It is for a lot of us. When we're down, when we're depressed, when we're frustrated, we can't see the forest for the tree. You know that expression? You can't get that 10,000 foot view of a higher perspective on things because you're just so in it, man. And, and it's robbing your joy. It's choking out your hope. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus rebukes self-righteous people and prideful people, telling them that they need to get the plank out of their own eye before they attempt to take the little splinter out of someone else's. Right? Most of us are familiar with that. And as true as that is, and as applicable as that might be to the self-righteous, I don't think I need to give you too much colored commentary to convince you that there are some of us that have no problem seeing our plank. Right? Some people don't. They don't see it. They're filled with pride. They're filled with self-righteousness. But there's others of us, we see our plank. In fact, some of us, all we see is our plank, like every day. I'll speak for myself. There's times where I feel like there's a whole sheet of plywood sticking right out of my eyeball, right? And it's just like, wherever I look, it's just like, woom, 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 right? It's like, why? Because my problem is stopping me from hearing God. My problem is stopping me from getting God's perspective on life, on myself, on who I am, on who he is. It's stopping me from seeing the way that God wants me to see. Some of us, it's like we've got to fight for every inch of ground to get past depressive thoughts, to get past self-criticism, um, what's called negative inside chatter, condemning self-talk, a shame that we place on ourselves. We can't, we can't get past our, our own personal self-worth or the lack thereof in the eyes of God or even in the eyes of other people. And again, one of my favorite pastors or preachers, Craig Groeschel, he said this, and it's just a fabulous quote that you might want to write down. And if, if, if you don't, you know what, I'm going to send all this to Brother Bill, and he can give you these notes if you don't have time to write them down, but I hope that you do. But listen closely. He said, the easiest way to forget what God thinks about me is to obsess about what others think about me. Listen to that again. The easiest way for me to forget what God thinks about me is for me to obsess about what others think about me. Come on. Isn't that so true? 
So what does David do? Verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. By the way, if you're a student of scripture, take your pen and notice how many times he uses the word God and soul. Right? Because your soul is the immaterial part of you. And the connection between God and his soul. Underlying God and circle soul throughout this chapter. And you'll see an interesting map of how it moves right through these handful of verses. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, right, therefore, this is what he does. I will remember thee, you God, I'm going to remember you from the land of Jordan, from the Hermonites, from the hill Mizar. Now really quickly. What does that even mean? Well, I'm going to present to you two thoughts on what that means. I always try to present a biblically balanced view. So this isn't extremely theological. This just happens to do with perspective. But I'll give you both sides of the interpretation and you decide what you think this might mean. There are some people, there's a group of people that study this and see it, and neither of them are wrong on either side. But one group of people says this, apparently God must have done some remarkable things in the life of David in these three places, right? Herman, Jordan, Mizar, and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remember what God did for me here, and I'm going to remember what God did for me over here, and that's going to help me. That's going to help me rise up. I'm inclined to think that that's true, but here's a second view of that. Um, another perspective is this. If you look, your Bible might say Hermonites. It actually, you know, it, it, there's a reason for that, because Mount Hermon is actually has several peaks. It's a mountain peak. Herman and Herman watch this now Herman is as far north Mount Herman as far north in the region of Israel as you can possibly go up into the border right and so what happens is, is you have these little mountain peaks actually of a large mountain range Mount Herman great Mount Herman by the way the water that comes down from Mount Herman because it's got the snow cap on top the water that comes down from there it actually goes and flows into the Jordan River and he says I'm going to remember you from Herman but I'm going to remember you from the Jordan River okay like that's just so awesome and the Jordan River runs down Israel into the Sea of Galilee coming down originally from Mount Herman now it also says not only Herman and Jordan, but it also says Mizar. Now, Mizar in Hebrew literally means petty. So what am I saying? I'm persuaded that what he's saying is, I'm going to remember you from Herman. That means I'm going to remember you from when I was like way out there, as far north as I could be. When I was way out there, I'm going to remember you. And then he says, I'm going to remember you also in the, 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 the Jordan, which is in the midst and then, again, this is so fascinating. Um, he says, I'm also going to remember you. He says, Mizar, it means small or petty. So I'm going to remember you not only way out there. I can't get to you, God. I can't get to Jerusalem. I'm sick about it. My soul is sick. I, I'm pouring it out from within me. I can't get to the house of God. I can't worship you there. I can't get back to the holy days. But I'm going to worship you even when I'm way out in isolation. Even when I'm way out in isolation, I'm going to worship you. Mizar means small or petty. I'm going to worship you even right now, even though I'm insignificant in the eyes of man. Even though I might seem rejected. Even though I might seem dejected. I'm going to worship you here and I'm going to worship you there. When I'm way out there or when I am in isolation or when I am small and petty in the eyes of men and facing dejection. Even though there's discontentment. Even though there's confusion. I'm going to worship God. That's what I believe he's saying here and I think that totally fits within the context of what he's trying to communicate in this entire psalm. So how about you? 
Whenever I read, I constantly try to reflect and bring it back to myself because I believe that's why God gave us his word. What about you? There are some of us that unless the conditions are just perfectly right, that we really don't feel like we can enter into worship with God. Maybe it's because the music isn't right over here. It's a little too slow. It's a little too fast. It's a little too modern. It's a little too traditional. Like we always put these different conditions on it. And I'm saying this, maybe this is worth writing down for you. Do you put conditions on God for your worship of God? And I'm not just talking about conditions like that have to do with church. I'm talking about I can't worship God when my family really doesn't show love to me. I can't worship God when my children have gone prodigal, or let's be honest, I've gone prodigal myself and made bad choices. How can I worship God? How can I worship God when I don't even know if I have a job? How can I worship God when I'm struggling with something that's got me in bondage and it's dominating my life? How can I worship God? When the fact of the matter is that God has provided a way through Jesus Christ for you to just say his name and step right into his presence whether you are far off and feel isolated, you draw near to God and he's gonna draw near to you. Whether you feel broken and dejected and rejected, God is near to those of a broken heart and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. The scriptures say that we can boldly approach God's throne of grace to receive mercy in a time of need. Hebrews chapter four, Romans chapter five. We have peace with God. Like Christ gave his life on the cross. He died in our place and he rose again on that third day to show you that everything that I'm saying that's coming out of his word is true. And what am I saying today? I'm saying there's a pandemic of depression and anxiety and there's a remedy and that's worship. David roused himself out of this place by realizing that he could worship God wherever he is. And I want to say to you as I close, you can worship God wherever you are. I would love to share with you again from this same passage. Next time I'm with you, God willing, we're going to look at this deep cries out to deep in the next verse. But as I close, let me just say this. In what ways can you satisfy the the thirst within you as it begins to grow? Everybody's thirsting for something. I want to challenge you to stay thirsty for God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, come unto me and drink. Let your satisfaction specifically be in seeking the Savior. Get back into the practice of pouring out your soul, crying out to God. It is a struggle to see God's hand at work in your life at some times, but worship and get back to that place. Do you ever soul wrestle? Are you struggling with negative inside chatter? Are you struggling with shame? The easiest way to forget about how God sees you is to obsess with how other people are seeing you. Get it behind you and say, I'm gonna worship you even when I'm in isolation. I'm gonna worship you even through discontentment and confusion. Do you put conditions on God for your worship of God? Worship God. Worship God wherever you are. Worship God whenever you can. Worship God however you feel. Worship God whatever it takes and put an end to this pandemic with praise. And with that, Selah. Well, that was a great message, and Pastor Matt's going to be sharing that next Friday, part two, mm-hmm. and uh, we appreciate his ministry. Again, we want to thank you for your prayers and your financial support. This ministry depends on folks like you to pray for us and to give. Uh, lots of questions as to what summer is going to look like here at America's Keswick. And so it could be that 
by next week we'll have some answers. That would be nice. And if I had those answers, I could be an expert. <laughs> and I'm not an expert. But again, if you would like someone to pray with you and for you between the hours of 8 and 4, Monday through Friday, you can call 1-800-453-7942. And we want you to visit our website at www.americaskeswick.org. And now until Friday. See you, Bill. See you, Bob. God bless. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let us know. Write us at bewealthy at americaskeswick.org, or it'll be in the description below. If you'd like to learn more information about America's Keswick, you can visit our website at www.americaskeswick.org. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 for the next edition of the podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Tyler. And have a good and godly day.